0: hello and welcome to book reviews kill a podcast about fantasy sci-fi and horror novels i'm evan and i'm chad and you're joining us today for our recap and discussion of abaddon's gate book three in the expanse by james s.a corey so i'm just gonna say right off the bat here i loved the characters in this book Apart from the crew of the Rosinante, which is always great, we had Melba, we had Bull, we had Anna, who were all great points of view, along with Holden, uh, while we're watching all this stuff really start to escalate here. Even the non-point-of-view characters, like Ashford and Pa and Tilly Sam. were all Sam. Was, they were all so distinct and perfectly put together for the roles that they had. It was excellent.
1: Like It's kind of like the Dark Tower. Each one's so unique that I can't be like, this one's my favorite over that one, but this one for enjoyment and keeping my focus and attention definitely was ranked highest among the three like I was in it actively engaged the entire book I read the second half in one sitting I think I liked
0: Caliban's War just a little bit more just a gauche more than this one solely because I loved Ava Sarala and Bobby so much those two characters are amazing and so i mean i really i liked melba a lot i liked anna a lot i liked bull quite a bit they were all great melba's redemption arc is fantastic bull was a little boring at first i mean i feel like the first like third of this book i'm noticing a little bit of a trend with these books okay and we're only uh, i'm into the fourth one now we're not going to talk about the fourth one on this episode but (laughs) i noticed that like the first 150 200 pages there is there can be action the action is there the movement is there but a lot of it at least the first 100 pages is just getting introduced to these characters and I think that you know Daniel Abraham and Ty Frank James S.A. Corey they do a really good job with having uh something cool happen at pretty much the end of every chapter you know I think that's something that Josiah Bancroft said when we interviewed him he said that that's something that he had always tried to do is every chapter have something cool happen have some kind of new development happen which can be really difficult when you have 50 60 chapters in a book to do that every time but james sa corey does a very good job at that um but yeah i've noticed that it takes me a little while to like warm up to these characters and they've been yeah. mostly different in every one of these books uh but so caliban's war i mean go- going into this book having this whole new cast i was like oh, i want ava sarala and Bobby
1: back. I know. I, I I, feel like these books kind of progress like a game of Jenga. It's very boring for the first 10, ten minutes or so. And then all of a sudden, every move is this tearing. <laughs> like, you know, the whole thing might collapse. Yeah, that's a really good
0: way of, do- of saying that. Yeah, yeah. Thank that's you. Perfect.
1: I want to talk more about the decisions that they made to kind of leave some of those characters behind, but we're going to get way deeper than we should before we hit the recap. So let's roll out that yeah, recap.
0: Let's do the recap right now. The book begins with a young belter named Neo slingshotting his ship, the Equay, through the mysterious ring that has formed in Uranus's orbit. Once through, the Equay decelerates at 99 Gs and Neo's body is splattered inside the ship. A live feed from the Equay broadcasts the events. While the Rocinante crew enjoys the fruits of their prosperous year, Detective Miller continues to visit Holden though the meaning behind Miller's words remains a mystery. Miller asks Holden for help and says, They know I find things. They know you help me. Holden has confided in Naomi about these visits, but not the rest of his crew. We then meet Bull, a former UN Marine, now a member of the OPA and XO on the Behemoth, the largest weapon ship in the Sol system, formerly known as the Nauvoo, but commandeered by Fred Johnson during the Eros incident. Just before launch, Bull is demoted to Chief Security Officer as Captain Ashford doesn't want a former Earther as second in command of the OPA's flagship. If the Nauvoo fires its railgun, the ship will be torn apart. Many of its parts were built to spin since the ship would have thrust gravity only at the start and end of its journey. Bull can't get the budget from the XO, Michio Pa, to fix any of the problems. Samara Rosenberg or Sam from Tycho, is the chief engineer. Clarissa Mao, daughter of Jules-Pierre Mao, gets a new identity as Melba Coe and will soon be shipping out on the Ceraseer, a civilian maintenance ship bound for the ring. The man selling her this new identity tries to shake her down and she kills him and his guards. As revenge for destroying her family, she plans to publicly humiliate and discredit James Holden before killing him. We then meet European pastor Anushka Volovodov, who has been chosen for the secretary general's advisory group for the civilian trip to the ring. She boards the UNN Thomas Prince, a Xerxes-class battleship. Back on Ceres and weary of the mysterious ring, Holden takes a job as far away from the structure as possible, but the employer backs out at the last minute when Holden has served a summons from Mars. They want the Rossi back, and it's impounded at the Ceres Dock. Monica Stewart from the UN Public Broadcasting Network wants to do a story on the Ring and asks Holden to take her and her team there. Under the Freedom of Journalism Act, she has a reasonable use of any hired materials and personnel. Holden believes Miller might be behind all of this. Melba commands a team of four technicians on the Cereser, but she's doing a poor job of faking it. She plants a bomb on a ship called the Swang Un, and intends to create a fake video of Holden saying he's claiming control of the ring on behalf of the OPA. She confides in Wren, a member of her team, that she's in over her head with the engineering job she's been assigned and he says he'll help her out. Bull discovers that the behemoth crew have been showing up to work high and as a show of force, throws a drug dealer out an airlock. Captain Ashford relieves him of duty but Bull explains that on a military vessel, anyone endangering the ship is to be executed. Ashford is visibly upset and tells him never to do it again. Miller keeps telling Holden to check his doors and corners and to clear the room, or he's going to wind up dead. Holden's not so sure he's just speaking gibberish anymore. Data shows that the Equay is still moving in a straight line at a constant velocity of 600 miles per second on the ring's other side. Ren confronts Melba after he gets air filter data from the Swang on, indicating there might be a bomb aboard. She utilizes her strengthening implants, breaks his neck, then seals his corpse in a storage locker in her room. Anna starts holding prayer meetings on the prince, as many of the crew are distraught about the ring. She sees a young woman that looks like she needs help. It's Melba, and she's losing her focus, filled with remorse after killing Ren. She thinks Anna somehow knows what she did and screams at her before leaving the room. Melba heads back to the Cirrusir and activates remote software on the Rossi, which issues a trigger code to blow up the Sueng On and falsely announces Holden's responsibility and false demands. The Rossi then powers up its weapons and targeting systems without instruction from the crew. On the behemoth, probes sent into the wormhole have determined there are a number of large objects, possibly ships, on the other side. X.O. Pa revokes Sam's access privileges for making repairs Bull told her to do. Pa knows Bull did this, but is politicking to turn Bull's allies against him. Bull gets the transmission from Holden, demanding that the information and resources about the ring remain free to all people, and that he'll kill anyone who tries to stop him. Bull and Pa tell Ashford to shoot down the Rocinante so Earth doesn't think the OPA is on Holden's side. Ashford reluctantly fires a torpedo, but this causes the Behemoth to lose power. The XO lets Sam out of confinement to fix the ship. Holden realizes the lawsuit and the camera crew were a setup for this exact moment. With the Behemoth's torpedo speeding toward the ship and Naomi's countermeasures all offline, they have no choice but to take the Rocinante into the ring. Ashford wants to follow the Rossi through the ring. Mars vows to destroy them if they even get close to the ring. Bull suggests to Pa that they overthrow the captain, but she insists they follow the chain of command. Hector or Hank Cortez, a spiritual advisor to the UN Secretary General, asks Anna to sign a petition to take the prince into the ring. She immediately agrees, seeing it as a way to reunite the fleets and stave off war. Melba is extremely upset that Holden survived her sabotage. When the Sir employers order a number of crew to be dispatched to the prince to chase after Holden, she volunteers. Before leaving, she removes Wren from her storage locker and stores him in her tool chest. On the prince, she recognizes Anna's new friend Tilly, who used to babysit her. The inside of the ring is 1 million kilometers across, bounded by 1,373 wormholes spaced into a sphere. The only open ring is the one to Earth's system, Sol. In the center is the ring station, a metal sphere five kilometers across. Orbiting it are the equay and the probes that have been sent through. In the slow zone, as it was nicknamed, nothing can go faster than 600 miles per second. Or meters per second. Is it meters per second? As opposed to... I think it's meters, because they're talking about kilometers.
1: Yeah, no, it's so, meters per second. Okay.
0: For everybody listening right now, I said miles per second earlier, and it is meters per second. <laughs> I'm leaving that in. <laughs> Do it. <laughs> Sorry to break the fourth wall, everybody. <laughs> Amos finds the transmitter that was hacking their system, and one of the documentary crew admits he got paid to plant it. His glasses have a sonar optic system that he uses to create a 3D model of the woman who paid him. Holden believes this is Julie Mao. Naomi puts out a broadcast saying the previous message was a fake. The other ships demand to see Holden, but he's EVA en route to the Sphere. Bull tells Naomi that Ashford wants to send in an attack squad and that he'll take the civilians off their hands. The Sphere's iris is open and it lets Holden enter. Inside, Miller explains that he's not actually there in person. He is the machine for finding lost things and can interface with the sphere's systems. Martian Marines in exosuits catch up with Holden. An insect-like alien defense robot attempts to stop them, but they destroy it with a grenade. This teaches the station that even things moving as fast as a baseball pitch are dangerous and the slow zone slows down even more causing massive casualties on all the ships. More alien defensive mechanisms activate and begin ripping the marines to pieces so they fall back. Melba uses the deceleration catastrophe to steal a mech suit and EVA to the Rossi. She breaks in and attacks Naomi in engineering. Just as Melba is about to break Naomi's neck, Anna appears and tases her. Anna had recognized Melba in Naomi's broadcast as the girl who lashed out at her and pieced things together when Tilly told her that the image was of Claire Mao. Anna, high on amphetamines due to having been injured during deceleration, stole a taser and an EVA suit and followed Melba. After a quick skirmish, Anna sedates Melba and tapes her to a chair. Miller takes Holden to the central core of the ring station. When Holden touches the core, his consciousness ascends and he learns about the creators who were a galaxy spanning hive consciousness. He can sense entire star systems with this mind. He realizes the creators were sending fire through the rings and destroying entire star systems to try and quarantine something from coming through. The station has been waiting two billion years for a sign to reopen the wormhole network. Miller says the station is in war mode. Martian soldiers appear once more and take Holden away. Bull wakes up in the medical bay, paralyzed from the waist down. His doctor insists on putting him in a medical coma, but Bull has too much work to do. The injured people on all the ships won't heal properly in zero-G, so he wants to spin up the behemoth drum to create gravity again. Sam has to remove the railgun and torpedo tubes first, and when Ashford finds out Bull has orchestrated this, he orders Bull into the coma. Pa and Bull then relieve Ashford of duty, making Pa the captain. Bull then contacts the Rossi, and Anna tells him she thinks Melba blew up the Sueng Un and that they need help. Holden is taken to the MCRN Hammurabi, where he explains everything that has happened so far. He's put into a holding cell, and Miller appears and tells him they all need to shut down their ship's power so he can unspring the lockdown. This will probably open up all the rings, which could be very bad, but Miller needs to know what happened. Melba is locked up on the behemoth in a cell adjacent to Ashford's zone. Ashford promises her amnesty if she can help get him out, but she ignores him. She won't respond to Bull, so he sends in Tilly. She confesses that she did it all because Holden hurt daddy. Anna and the Rossi crew are taken to the behemoth. Tilly asks Anna to speak with Claire. She again confesses everything, but Anna wants to redeem her. Claire says there's no justice in that and doesn't want forgiveness for the terrible things she's done. Bull gets a call from Captain Jacande on the Hammurabi. She won't come to the Behemoth or give up Holden because the MCRN won't let her surrender. Sam gifts Bull a modified mech suit that lets him walk, and he's deeply touched. Bull asks her to turn the calm laser into a weapon so he can give the Martians a reason to surrender. They surrender willingly and send Holden to the Behemoth. When Holden arrives, he tells Pa everything, including how to shut off the protomolecules hold on them, He heads to the medical bay to check on his crew, and he's accosted by Anna. She tells him about Claire, then takes him to see his crew, who are all grateful to her for saving their lives. Anna asks them to forgive Clarissa, and Holden reluctantly agrees when Naomi says she forgives her. Clarissa regains consciousness and is taken to hating herself instead of Holden. She eavesdrops on Ashford's visitors and realizes they're planning a coup. Hector Cortez, who used to golf with her father, asks her to join the coup. He feels responsible for many of the deaths since he was the one who petitioned to come into the ring. He's joined with Ashford so they can use the calm laser to destroy the gate, locking themselves inside in order to stop others from following them. He wants Claire to use her abilities to keep Ashford alive. Deciding that all the deaths will be given meaning this way, she agrees. Bull gets a call warning that Ashford's people are taking over. He warns Pa, then calls Sam. She tells him Ashford's guys took engineering and asked her to overclock the laser so they can destroy the ring. Sam explains that using the laser will melt that entire side of the ship. Holden tells her if they attack, the ring station might destroy the entire solar system. Bull rounds up his people, and they set up a base in the admin offices where Radio Free Slow Zone has been broadcasting from. Bull has the journalist Monica and Preacher Anna do a broadcast explaining the situation and asking all ships to shut down their reactors so the station will let the ships go. Sam continues to sabotage the laser. Ashford calls her to the bridge and when another engineer disagrees with how long the repairs should take, he shoots Sam. With Sam dead, Naomi is tasked with shutting down the reactor and gassing the bridge. Holden will take the bridge once they're all unconscious, Amos will stay and guard Anna, and Alex will head back to the Rossi to secure it. Bull's team retakes engineering. Naomi tries to gas the bridge, but Clarissa disables remote access to it. Ashford sends out a team of four soldiers equipped with confiscated Martian power armor. He shuts down the rotating drum section of the behemoth, leading to another catastrophic inertia change and injuring even more people then sends the armored soldiers straight through to engineering. Bull and Naomi are forced to retreat from engineering when the four power-suited soldiers arrive. Naomi managed to dump the core, but not the grid. Thus, Ashford can still fire the laser. They escape out an airlock and into an elevator shaft in vacuum. Bull stays behind to cover them. He throws his two remaining grenades at the pursuing mech warriors, killing one of them and sacrificing himself. In the offices, Amos manages to repel the attack, but his team suffers massive casualties. Anna broadcasts that they're losing the fight and that they need to stop Ashford or Earth will be destroyed. Clarissa calls and says she could open the bridge doors for Holden, but wants Anna to convince her. Anna says to have faith in the people who chose to forgive her in spite of the pain she's caused them, and to stop siding with Ashford, who kills innocents out of convenience. Clarissa opens the doors. Naomi rigs the backup elevator to engage, squashing the two remaining Marines in mech armor like bugs. The hatch opens and fire is exchanged from both sides. Ashford tries to shoot Claire, but Claire dropkicks him, then re-rigs the bridge access controls, allowing the grid to be taken offline. The ship shuts down and the lights go out. Holden suddenly finds himself on an alien planet with Proto Miller. With all the ships powered down, Miller managed to shut down the station's defenses, which freed the ships and opened all the rings. No malevolent force appears and kills them, but Miller warns that they could still be out there. Even though his creators are gone, Miller can't stop searching for them and tells Holden he needs a ride. Anna insists that Clarissa get a fair trial on Luna and asks Holden to transport her there. When he refuses, she offers to buy the Rossi from Mars and give it to him if he'll agree. She calls up Tilly and asks her to foot the bill, which she will. Aboard the Rossi, Claire helps Amos fix all the damage she caused and finds she really enjoys the crew's company. Ooh, I tried to make that recap fairly short, but there was just I needed to keep everything in there. It was just it was so Not an impossible
1: there, task. There were so many things in there. <laughs> you can't just miss any of them because they're very, very important. Everyone is so pivotal to the story. When you hear me say, you you lovely listeners, the shaking of the snow globe, this book, or at least the second 60% of it, the last 60% of it is the Perfect example of just a rattling of that. I mean, the first two books are we're kind of all over the place. We get to see the solar system. We're flying around. This book, they did such a brilliant thing, I think, in that they just contained it to one location. Yeah, that was all really of cool. It. Yeah. And that
0: location was a different dimension or something. What was that? Okay, so let's let's talk about this because it's the main part of the book. It's the ring, the ring system. I, I was not expecting them to go through the ring. And it's not that I thought they, they're they not going to, I just wasn't really think, it just didn't seem like an option to me. Like it seemed like too foreign of an object for anybody to even be considering going through this. And from basically when the swing uh, swing un blows up, from there until the end of this book is absolute chaos. Like, I, so for, right when Holden goes into the ring, was where I was not going to, I had committed to finishing this book. You know what I mean? Because right I was man. like, what yeah. is on the other side of this thing? And then we kind of find out, and then everything else, everywhere else, just goes to absolute hell. And I just, I, I wanted to pick your brain and ask you, like, let's just get to the meat of what this really is, or at least try to discuss what we think this is. What is up with Holden's vision that he had? What is up with the creators? What is up with all these other star systems that are being destroyed what is this thing that they're trying to keep out of the rings what what is going on what do you think this
1: is i'm going to circle your uh t- your question before i answer it because i really love how they answer mysteries i didn't think that we were going to get this level of engagement with the protomolecule actually going through a portal someplace else until like oh. the last book oh really I, th- I figured it'd be like halfway through the series but not, not the third book Oh, really? Wow. I mean, I was just, I'm just so, it's like a breath of fresh air, you know? Yeah, it's like, where could this go? Like, where is, where, what's happening here? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Okay, the whole Miller thing, like, once they get to, well, what do we want to call, they don't really refer to anything, the slow zone is the thing right around the command module dome metallic thing inside the thing, but the portal space? Well, there's like the ring station
0: in the middle. And then the right. slow zone is, is the space between the structure of one thousand three hundred seventy three rings in a sphere around the ring station in the middle. So then I guess the slow zone would be all the space in between that. Okay. So I don't, so know, I don't know what zone.
1: the I don't know what the whole thing is called. We'll just call uh, it all the slow zone. I guess <laughs> uh, for the sake of it being easy here. Sure. But I get the interaction between Miller and Holden once he goes into the slow zone. But I didn't really understand the visions that Holden kept having and what Miller was trying. Did Miller want him to come? And that was his thing was like he needed. Oh, I think I just answered my own question. As I remembered this here, he needed Holden to activate it and put his physical because he exists in the physical realm. So he needed to touch that ball thing inside there and and give him access, I guess. Was that his whole purpose? The way that I look at it,
0: and this could be super wrong, but I I look at it as like Miller is not Actually it's like have you did you see that movie Contact with Jody Foster? Uh no, I, mean, I don't think I did. It's like I'm assuming the form that you'll be most comfortable speaking with. You oh, know what sure. I mean? it's okay, like, Yeah, yeah. Uh I, I think that Miller is kind of Miller in in the sense that um I think that there's kind of a nod to the people that the proto molecule has killed aren't necessarily like a hundred percent dead. You know what I mean? Like their their memories are still like somewhere in the ether in the ether or something. Um but anyway, Miller is like uh holden's it's like it's like holden's projection of miller and then this like this alien program that is like allowing holden to see this projection of miller which is also like a projection of holden in a sense if you like think about it and then right (laughs) it's like they're using him as an intermediary to like speak in his language sort of i think that they needed holden to touch this sort of um i'm gonna call it a conduit because it's so similar did you play mass effect uh a little bit tiny bit okay i've watched well, it for, played more than I it. Actually. for you and our listeners uh and mass effect fans uh you can send me an email if i get any of this wrong but this reminded me a lot of mass effect at least the first game uh you know it gets a lot it gets a little different um as the games go on but the main storyline of mass effect at least the first game is that captain shepherd <laughs> touches or kind of like mind melds with this thing called the conduit which shows him a sort of vision that ends up being this super powerful alien race of synthetic organic hybrid ships called the well, Reapers. Like exactly which, what this is. Which waits around for civilization to advance before eradicating them around every like 50,000 year, like 50,000 year cycles. And so this is obviously a lot different in a lot of ways, but. Also very similar in a lot of ways. (laughs) I was reading along and I was like, wow, James S.A. Corey, that is pretty similar to a game that came out like 15 years ago. But, um, Well, I guess this was written in like 2013 or something. So it was still like six years. But anyway, uh, it was very similar. And um, I don't know like why Holden, Um, maybe because Holden, um, for very much the same reason why Holden seems to be picked for quite a few different jobs is he's kind
1: of like, uh, the middle way in all of this it seems like he could be convinced he's also mobile right just like the logistics of it. there's not many people who have the power to just get to the ring on their own volition you know without having to go through any sort of political or or government structure what i don't get why is would why miller know that well oh, I, I don't on. know Sorry, yeah. well what i don't get was why miller when he showed up to Holden, it kept muttering all these crazy things. It wouldn't just be like, I need you to come to the ring to help me interact with it. And like it, it, with one sentence, as opposed to like all this, like muttering insane garbage. So I have a and couple of ca- theories
0: on this. Sorry, I know you're good.
1: Yeah, well, he kind of like says it by saying like, well, it's really hard to do what I'm doing and create this image of me in your brain. It's like pulling a million strings or like playing like a million keyed piano perfectly so you can see me. And it's very difficult to do this properly, but it was like, just say a sentence. Like, I don't know. I mean,
0: because, okay. So the way that I look at it, and I think it's kind of mentioned in the book to a a certain extent is like um, this being presence, uh, projection of Holden's mind onto this being or presence or whatever this is it doesn't know exactly how to do it yet like the the human brain is so complicated I think there's I can't remember there's like a paragraph where it's like an aside that Miller takes and he's just like do you have any idea like how complicated the human brain is you know like it's really difficult for me or you know me as like this basically like alien software to like hack into your brain and do it correctly you know it's like it's taking me a while i've been trying this whole time and i think also uh my theory at least and i don't know if the text like super backs this up but i think holden has been so traumatized over the last couple of books um that it's making it even harder you know what i mean uh like holden right. holden has a lot of very new pathways being carved into his brain (laughs) if if you want to think about it that way like holden has a, a a huge like heap of different thoughts than normal he was just working on a on an ice hauler for a while you know he's just like this this blue collar guy just kind of like banging the girls he works with for like Shh. five years you know it's just not a whole lot to hold in right. for his like brain a while.
1: explorers are just yeah. hacking their way through he has, the jungle he has all grown quite a bit as
0: a person so that's like my theory behind it of why it was so cryptic and weird and difficult um obviously for like expediency's sake probably would have been really nice if like alien miller was just like okay so the ring totally fine if you go through it just go through it at
1: 600 meters per second you'll be totally good you know what i, I mean just- <laughs> i kind of passed up like distance and maybe it was difficult to get the information out of the ring because like it seemed like once he went into the slow zone through the portal that like miller became much more cogent you know which was maybe him just finally figuring it out but i don't know it did seem like he spent you know he was like it's so complicated to create. Not only my image, but the your sense of my image and your memories and all these things and around it. It was like sense, yeah, but it did seem like well, maybe stop focusing on how your breath smells and your hat looks and just like talk in his like if the, put a put a sentence together, man. Now,
0: you know what's funny about these books is um, especially with this
1: one, you know, like
0: when Holden gets through the gate and he's in the um the ring station in the middle there, um, so much new information is being given to the reader and you're in such a new place that like, I I do this sometimes with other books too, where I get to like, kind of like this this zenith of of where I want to be in the book and everything's just happened. It's just like, everything's happened at the same time. So many things are happening. And I kind of like glance over stuff sometimes because I just want to know what's going on. Right. So uh, I think that, Sometimes that's it's awesome. It's a very exciting feeling, but I have to remember to kinda of like slow down and, and really make sense of kind of those smaller details sometimes. Uh, especially because, with a technologically advanced sci-fi like this. I know. It's just like it's like did you guys have to put the explanation for all of this? <laughs> like in literally the most exciting part of the book <laughs> we go right. through an alien artifact and we're in an alien space station and holden touches this thing and transcends into this god perspective and, which and i loved Miller's just like do you know how complicated your brain is and i'm like i don't want to know about any of that <laughs> like, shut up miller <laughs> <that>? <laughs> but it is really important and that is my uh theory behind it but what do you think is up like what do you think is this thing that they're trying to keep out of the
1: rings what do you what do you what are your thoughts on that we're probably well, wrong <laughs> probably, probably so wrong. Okay. So it seems to me that at some point, perhaps billions of years in the galaxy's history, there was a civilization that became so advanced, so powerful. They were the ones who made the protomolecule and they had, I don't want to use taken over because that sounds militaristic, but they had settled thousands of different stars and their reach and power was beyond anything we could even imagine at our stage of advancement. And something came along just like you were kind of saying in mass effect that waits until a civilization. Yeah. Is advanced (laughs) enough. And then gobbles, nom 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 just goes to town, eating their stars up. And then this thing, this collective multi solar star system uh, consciousness realized that it was being eaten alive and then quarantined the certain parts of it that hadn't been affected yet by this eating monster, which included earth, I guess, and uh, kind of lot and used the, the ring station as a way to control access. One of the, um the main
0: things that I feel like, um, like Anna's job in this was a uh, perspective, right? We needed a perspective shift, Right um and I think it's Anna who thinks you know all of this is a matter of perspective like we think that this is a weapon because of the way that it maybe it was bull I can't remember exactly what who who said it but somebody uh, said I think it's Anna okay well uh, somebody said you know we thought this was a weapon because of what it did, but it might not have been intended as one, right? Um, and I think that that's, that's a really big part. I think that's a big part of the last three books that we've read is is perspective. It's a really b- uh, important thing to keep in mind when you're reading these books with so many different players on the board.
1: I think her exact sentence is, we touch a stove and get, and get burnt and then we destroy the stove thinking that it's attacking us. We're just not understanding it. So my question is like, do you think that the protomolecule
0: how do I put this? And we're so early on in this series. So people that have read the entire thing, just humor us, uh, Chad and I are in full nerd mode right now.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. Uh,
0: <laughs> but I think that the, the proto-molecule was sent in order for us to be able to set this ring up so that we could um, be the new custodians of this quarantine system. Like I think a that Hail Mary to future Maybe, things. or like something where it was like, okay, so the human race in its state uh, at any point maybe um, might not be ready to handle this. We, we're we going to need to set this up ourselves. One of the only ways that we're gonna really be able to set it up is if we use this molecule that um, kind of like, for lack of a better word, sacrifices a certain amount of the population to be able to create this artifact out of some sort of sentience or I have, <laughs> maybe I'm like way off into the space on this, but um, I think that my kind of half cocked theory here mixed with, um, what anna said about the stove and you know just about taking things um not necessarily as they are at face value to you know us as like evolved primates who think everything is just trying to murder us all the time and it's like no the the universe is this vast gigantic ridiculous complicated thing and you know there are these kind of like maybe neutral partied or unsympathetic or 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 much higher ordered civilizations that would maybe need to send some kind of misunderstood particle somewhere for a, a larger purpose you know so that's that's how
1: i was thinking about all this at least i totally agree with you and it's in fact almost the opposite it is the opposite of a weapon because this solar this star system-wide consciousness realized it was going down and so it threw a little ball of hope into an area of the galaxy that it saw potential could develop something that may one day become advanced enough to access this and basically it threw the keys to the kingdom at us it was like here when you can use it have this and this will give you access to the rest of the solar system and maybe you can do what i couldn't we couldn't and fix this problem if it's still even going on, which there's a big question mark there. Talk, talk to me about what you think is the solar system gobbling oh, nom I nom no monster I still think that existing?
0: That, <laughs> so I have, I have two different thoughts on this. I, I will kind of like, I will say as an addendum to what we just said, obviously we might be eating our words there, but even if we are, that was a cool idea that we had. And if yeah. it's not a thing, we could turn that into a book. Anyway. Um, <laughs> I think that this kind of like uh, this this galaxy gobbling thing, this system gobbling thing. So I have a couple thoughts on this. One, I think that could be what the expanse is, um, or the expanse is just a a term for how the the playing field we're on in these right, right. right. Obviously,
1: humans' tendency to
0: everything adventure. (laughs) But also, I mean, I think it could be it could be something like the flood in halo where you know you've got this kind of um uh kind of like hive mind um which i guess the other civilization was a hive mind too but kind of like another hive mind type thing right
1: the one who made Um, the protomolecule was the hive mind
0: right but it could be another one um or it could be some kind of virus or it could be um i don't i don't see it necessarily as like a malevolent alien force of like kind of like individuals or something. I don't necessarily see that. If it is, that'd be really cool and interesting. But um, I think that a civilization that is as galaxy spanning or a system spanning as this uh, this other one, the creators, um, I don't know if they'd have as much trouble with like just like a race of sentient beings. There'd have to be like something more to that, I feel like, for right. it to be that big of a threat. But I don't know. Like I said, the universe is huge. I don't know all
1: the possibilities <laughs> that different right. races might have. Who knows? And- Holden kept, or excuse me, Miller kept mentioning, because he kept trying trying to put things into perspective that Holden could understand. And he was like, well, you know, you know, you exist in the physical realm, and in some places, some areas of the galaxy, that's actually a big deal. And so it's like, maybe this consciousness existed without a body, or it grew past it and somehow combined itself. I, I don't know, but it was very interesting that he kept trying to... It was kind of like how someone who lived in, like, four dimensions were to try to explain that fourth dimension to someone who lived in three it's like we just can't we our perspective does not allow for it you know
0: i know and that's why it's it's frustrating sometimes because i think i've had fourth dimension or fifth dimension explained to me like a thousand times and i still don't understand it still like a- know, <laughs> i think i understand it but it's just uh have you ever read uh, flatland no it's like a little it's a little tiny book um about a two dimensional uh like character being uh like kind of like uh, encountering a three-dimensional world uh it's like a really old book check it out it's really cool okay uh, it's, a little, it's a little side note there um okay I, I have another little notice here that i wanted to go over with you if you don't mind not at all so if you think about it if not for melba and her and her and her machinations uh <laughs> her we, insanity we could be looking at a completely different story here like think about it if melba hadn't put that bomb on the swing on and blown it up and then done that kind of like false announcement that says where Holden says all that stuff, then the behemoth would have never fired on Holden to make it look like the OPA was not tied to him. Then Forcing Holden would have him. never had to right. go through the ring, which made everybody else go through the ring, which which eventually made it so that these other rings opened up as a result. So if you think about it, Melba is directly responsible for all of this not, and not and i think i want to talk a little bit more about melba because um i really liked this whole arc that she had it was convincing it was cool it was realistic she is responsible for all the deaths on the ship the the swing on she is responsible for all the people that died in the deceleration incident uh mm-hmm. both of them you know both of them yeah um, and so she <laughs> finally at this point where she's it's she's locked up she is just
1: marinating like, in blood <laughs>
0: And guilt, you know, like and real, guilt. real visceral guilt. Do you think it was fair for Anna to ask Holden to forgive Melba?
1: I'm glad that you asked me that because, and again, I'm going to circle your your question before I answer it. The scene where she's doing that and everyone basically is like, yep, we will. And then Holden's like, N- I won't. Are you kidding me? And he kind of throws a little hizzy fit and he's playing back to uh book holdens and then all of a sudden alex <laughs> makes some comment he's like yeah well you know holden can't do it because his girlfriend almost got key. he makes a little slide <laughs> thing he's like he wasn't even in danger it's that like you were so the funny. least of us man who should have <laughs> be holding the grudge right now you were fine and, uh, he like, <laughs> that. That yeah, and he was like, forgot about that. Yeah, you was just so like, good. okay, maybe I'm just a huge asshole. And I was like, yes, Holden, yes, that's what I needed from you. That was like a turning point that shows, like, finally, we're getting some self awareness, some growth, something other than this Cub Scout. My way is the righteous highway or nothing instinct that he has, and I loved that whole thing. What
0: what Melba did was really messed up. Obviously, um, I'd say I would even say like if Melba's dad hadn't been partly responsible for the death of a million and a half people and had just been if if her dad had been some random guy killed because of Holden's carelessness it would have been maybe more forgivable uh, but I'm not sure either you know I mean it's it's a weird thing because um what she did to Holden like in a vacuum was really messed up um but there's really nothing for Holden to gain like
1: killing her other than no revenge she did him a service by almost forcing him to forgive her it's like you don't you have so many other things in your play right now you don't need to worry about this revenge and this hate it's not going to be bring about anything good and, and I holen think for... would probably do the same thing honestly with, if yeah. you look at
0: like his righteousness you know i mean like i don't know if he would kill people to do it but he would i wouldn't put it past holden to like try to humiliate somebody you know what, you know right. what i mean like it wouldn't right. be as it wouldn't be as ruthless but it would still be the same like intention and 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 spitefulness i feel like
1: you right know? and anna it was a big deal to her as well because her whole world is kind of being shaken by the p- possible presence or definite presence of alien life and what does that mean for her religion and she needed something to return to that was foundational which is forgiveness and redemption can someone be redeemed and like i think that was really big for her and she probably would have just like holden done the same thing even without tilly asking her to do that
0: yeah um anna was a really interesting character like her chapters were like fairly they weren't boring they were definitely interesting in a certain um like seeing things from a different perspective, seeing things from a religious perspective, especially considering, you know, the presence of, of alien intelligence would really rub up against a lot of religion, very roughly to say the least. Like that would be very difficult, I feel like, for uh, deeply religious organizations and individuals to kind of like square with that, depending on what the situation was. Like, I mean, if, if a bunch of aliens came to Earth right now, and you know uh the pope was like hey jesus and they were like who you know okay. it would be it would be weird it'd be like a rough thing and I'm not, it would like, like we miss- were
1: told we were made in the image of our god like yeah. no we were made
0: in the image of our i know god. it'd be like a whole mess <laughs> um or they'd be like oh are you guys still doing that and we'd be like yeah it's awesome <laughs> you know and um but <clears throat> or, or on the other hand uh, what i think about sometimes is what if aliens came here
1: and we were like uh jesus and they were like yeah <laughs> yeah. He what lived for be? like three thousand years. Taught us all these things. We're like, oh no, we killed him at thirty. Like, what? You killed him at thirty. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's just um you know the the implications that
0: that would have, not only on just secular society, you know, which would be just legion. There would it would change everything. Ooh, obviously, good word. But, but <laughs> thank you. It would be but, legion. <laughs> but you know, um it, it's so cool to see from Anna's perspective like her kind of dealing with all of this and dealing with it in a way that's not like this, she's not clinging to her faith. She's, she's almost saying like, okay, this is a reality. And I'm going to try and approach this in a way where I'm still loving and I'm still faithful. And I'm still, I'm still trying to have a confidence in my species, in my fellow humans, while we all go through this. And I'm going to tell other people to do that too. And I, I thought, I don't know, I just thought that Uh, James Corey just taking that perspective I thought was like a little weird at first and then now in retrospect was such
1: such a good idea. Mm -hmm. I agree we definitely needed that look Because everyone here is so militaristic which is a question that I kind of have for you is why were all the priests and different religious representatives Sent to the gate in the first place, like whose idea was that? It seems like we've got soldiers, some politicians, and then the religious folk. It's like m- maybe scientists who are given zero. Oh, mention? there's a bunch
0: of scientists too. Um, so it's basically like a um a caravan, a delegation. Yeah, a delegation, a, a caravan, a, a some, something like that,
1: where they're sending Pilgrimage? scientists.
0: a a pilgrimage that's what it was
1: yeah i knew it
0: (laughs) but it's i mean you know you've got scientists you've got um people of faith you've got uh, all kinds of you know military groups uh political groups all these people that are going out toward the ring um you know to study it to an extent but also because uh someone flew through it you know so this might be a new development we want people around um i think that this guy um cortez is very close to the secretary general sending out this kind of like delegation of um kind of like religious people to kind of like i don't know lubricate things i guess just kind of like be a part of the whole process um i did think like reading it initially like why are so many people going out to this like clearly dangerous thing i mean right you would just have to to err on the side of this thing being really dangerous but then i thought like okay well i mean if it's really dangerous then nobody's safe anywhere so
1: Yeah, I I guess I guess it makes sense. They're like, we need every point of view, every representative here. It just seemed and maybe it was just because the book focused so much on the religious groups that I was just kind of arching an eye. But I think it was really just excluding the others. And in my brain meant that they weren't there, but really they were.
0: Well, I mean, Fred even explains. I think it's Fred, uh, explains that, um, these other factions are going, so the OPA needs to go too. You know, what I mean? so it's like if one goes, then everybody's got to go. Kind of sure. Thing. Okay, so that makes a lot. of sense. So it's sense. like, yeah, I mean, if maybe on the off chance of, like this ring just starts like puking up gold or something, you know, what I mean, <laughs> like or is it whatever? You know, what I mean, it's like advanced they, technology. Yeah, it's just iPads for everybody. You know? iPads. Uh, <laughs> but um, sending all those people out. At first, I was just like, uh, I don't know about this, but it it made sense. Um, as more conversations kept happening, I have another question for you. Yes. Or while we're jumping around on different questions, so to kind of recap, this is on top of my recap. Uh, there is a coup and then a counter coup in this story, and that is the apex. That is the climax of this story, um, and it is ridiculous. Like I was <laughs> like, when is this gonna wrap up? Because this has just been like one like what else could possibly go wrong in this situation like they're all together on this ship everything is breaking down there's a laser they're trying to fire if the laser fires it's going to melt off the entire side of the ship if it if it hits something then they're going to destroy the whole solar system there's all these mech suits everywhere and bullets everywhere and fire there's so many points like like, it
1: can't get worse and then it does
0: exactly so i wanted to ask you though. Um, do you think that Ashford, Captain Ashford, and his uh, I guess, assistant in all of this, Cortez, do you think they could be considered villains? Like, if you think about their intentions here, like what do you think about this?
1: They were the villains of this book. And I think for just just as like they were the they were the obvious people that our protagonists were fighting against and were in um opposition to them. But I also think that they're villains because, their motivations were not what they said which was to protect all of Earth we are sacrificing ourselves it was their own pride I think Cortez thought that I could he, be wrong he, about he's that such a
0: slippery fish I never really quite had him nailed down I thought they wrote him in a really interesting way where like he never he never quite got in my opinion like past the line of like unbelievable a religious zealot or like corrupt religious politician or something like he very closely edged to it but he there was always something about him where like Anna was fairly comfortable around him you know what I mean like it, right. it wasn't like he was a greasy that. politician but it wasn't but he... that bad though you know what I mean he was like Ron Wyden you know like he was just like hey like and if you don't know who Ron Wyden and he's a he's an Oregon senator and I think he's he's pretty all right like <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'd get right. a beer with him but uh but also I don't trust you Ron White <laughs> right <laughs> but but also I mean like I felt like Cortez at least saw the logic in it and There was a part of him that was like, so many people have already died. I'm going to do anything I can. I don't understand this situation. The only thing I understand is that this is obviously dangerous, and I want to close out this ring just in case. And so that's kind of what I felt like his thought process was. But he was being taken advantage of by Ashford, who, in my opinion, was just losing it like I don't really yes. know how else to explain it like
1: I I don't I don't I'm not so easy on Cortez I okay. think that yeah. while everything you said is correct I think he was fueled his motivations were fueled by I'm losing power and he's a power fiend and he's and he's not in the in the in the central spotlight anymore and so he's like how can I regain that and then I think that he kind of has this growing sense of everyone here is probably going to die and so i might as well go down in like the most glorious legendary altruistic way that'll just make my sacrifice echo on through the uh the chambers of history of me just this awesome martyr you know i i don't know maybe he was confused or he was really trip i don't know
0: See, um you know, it's a it's a it's a problem of information we're having, a, as as Robert Plant would say, a communication breakdown, you know, um, because I feel like, you know, in a, in, a, in a really tense situation like this, I feel like you could really try your very best to spell things out for people and be like, look, if we do it like you want to do it, the entire solar system is going to get destroyed and for people in a very high stress situation when they've already kind of got their own biases and things like that, they're not going to listen to you. You know, like it's just like Ashford had already been um, mutinied against, he seems racist. (laughs) I'm just throwing that out there. Like he seems like not a very cool guy. Um, And then so I I feel like pride
1: was his motivation.
0: Yeah, I feel like Ashford at least was, I, I think Ashford aligns with what you're kind of aligning Cortez with in the sense that, you know, he kind of saw this as, like, everyone's going to die anyway, so I'm just going to, like, get mine and stay in power as long as I can, which doesn't really make sense to me, but I've also never been in that situation, so... He didn't seem like...
1: He seemed too selfish to sacrifice himself. That's what... Like, I got Mm, it from Cortez's side, but it seemed strange to me that Ashford was so quick to jump aboard his bandwagon and that, yes, we're going to shoot this thing and close down... At least we'll close down the gates. We're all going to die. He didn't seem like the self-sacrificing type to me. But he did, though. I know. But yeah. he, it just he never seemed that way. You know, the people in, who are very uh, prideful in those leadership roles, they never actually want to do the leadership work, you know, which he, did he was right. He committed to it. He did. He really did. So yeah. I guess kudos to him for really committing to that, though. He he took it to such an extent, like when he stopped the be- the drum, Yeah. you know, all yeah. these thousands of people are injured in this basically like kilometer wide ring of stick bay. And, he's, and it's spinning, and he stops it. So for a third time, they go from movement to not, and everything just goes, oh, man. Yeah. And then he shot Sam. I was like, this guy is really, he has committed <sighs> so much hard that
0: was let's talk about
1: that a little bit because yeah. I, re- I didn't put
0: together that Sam was Sam from Tycho station who was friends with Naomi to like Not, wait I don't know why I put that together it's so silly of me because like she's described the exact same and everything
1: it was <laughs> until so her and Naomi started interacting and then I was like oh right yeah okay.
0: yeah Sam Sam uh, I did. I, I, were you expecting Ashford to just 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 put a bullet nope. in her head just nope man that, that was, was brutal that oh. sucked
1: yeah that I sucked. was legitimately upset because i did. really liked sam a lot yeah she she's one of those characters that we don't get to be with very much but we see her through the eyes of the characters that we are with so much that we love we have like their love for her and mm-hmm. it was just a rough loss it was, a, it was it was probably the hardest loss definitely the hardest oh, loss. of this
0: book this absolutely because yeah. the only other loss that was really significant in my opinion was bull who I had mixed feelings on Bull. Like I really liked him. I thought I and, and you know at the top of the episode I was like I really love all these characters and the reason that I love all these characters is because you can't lift anybody out. Like like they're so important. Um mm-hmm. I liked Bull. I liked the Bull chapters I think more than I liked Bull as a character, I guess. Same. Same. That's a good way of saying it. I don't know. He was cool. Like that that scene where he <laughs>
1: just tosses that guy out in an airlock. Oh that my gosh. That well, was Michael- pretty <laughs> ridiculous. What did you think oh about that? That was a little like extreme, right? I mean, I think he to make was, an example.
0: I think it was like to make an example. Um, but the example was that he's like, he's like on team Belter. You know what I mean? Okay, um, okay. He's not. He's not doing like Earth stuff. You know, he's like okay. Like, at least that's how I looked at it. Um, because, uh, and I think that obviously also he didn't want people showing up stone to work when they're working <laughs> on the ship. That's and this ship is like you know basically falling apart like you can't right. have. someone a bunch just of got injured right um yeah so i mean i think that's why i did it i feel like it was pretty extreme <laughs> but yeah. it, was a, it
1: was a cool scene uh but yeah i was like geez dude that's a lot wow okay so so far in this series every book we have an introduction of new characters which i really love it always gives a each book its own different feel some new perspectives though it does sadden my heart a little bit that we don't seem to get any continuance of some of these characters, such as Bobby or Avas- Avasalara, such as Bobby or Avasalara. Avasarala. Avasarala. Such as Bobby or Avasarala. What are your thoughts on that?
0: Um, I think it's pretty cool. I mean, like, I'm, I'm not trying to spoil anything. I'm already, like, I'm, like, 200 pages into Cibola Burn. Oh. Um, you
1: got out the chopsticks and got down with the oh noodles my God, I love
0: <laughs> I love I love these books they're so good and I'm also Same. reading the novellas and short stories and stuff and I'm just I've got my pedal to the expanse metal here um, and I'm really enjoying it um, but in Cibola Vern um, it's I'm not trying to spoil anything but there are characters that have been mentioned previously they that didn't have PO, well they didn't have POVs oh. but now they do which is really cool and then there, are, there has been a little bit of recurrence um, and even in this book, I mean, like Eva Sarala and Bobby are mentioned kind of in passing. Right. So I, I was worried. I, I kind of see what you're saying, though, because like, I was worried going through these first few books that like this was going to feel very kind of like, um, like, a, like an arp- archipelago of different stories that never really right. felt you know what I mean like I, I didn't really want that but it seems like no this is a nine book series so just chill cool your jets a little bit we're gonna it's gonna be an ensemble thing there's with a Holden lot of story with here the center. yeah there's a lot of story here and we don't if someone's not dead you might be seeing them again you know so uh if not in POV form then at least in in mentioning and having them still be because Eva Sorala is aside from her title basically in charge of the UN you know, right so obviously we're gonna keep seeing her a very important figurehead I want like a whole Ava Sorrell novella or just like her drinking tea and yelling at her kids or something right, just Like swearing <laughs> I, I just, out like her lessers <laughs> it's like watching Family Feud I would watch an entire I would read an entire novella about <laughs> that. um but yeah I, I wouldn't worry too much about it um I mean I think that another reason that I was kind of like uh eh, I don't know about this is because you never know i mean when you're throwing so many new characters um and it's, it's a new author that you never read new story that you've never read you're like all right i mean there's been some good ones but like i hope you don't throw me a curveball on someone i just really i think is super boring and i just don't want to read those chapters and that really hasn't happened yet maybe with the exception of like prax i felt like um just like his just the character voice you know what i mean it was like a little bit boring but not the actual events and him being like a um like a botanist was interesting especially like on ganymede like he try and make a botanist on ganymede during a, a war between earth and mars uh a boring point of view you
1: know what i mean like it's not right it's
0: not going but it, it's it's still not to mention was. he
1: kind of comes pre-packaged with the world building that tells us how they're all fed you know
0: yeah but like when you stacked prax up against the crew of the rosinante <laughs> yeah. it was just like but still important still there and i think that you know um while all of these point of view characters in these first three books um at least for me kind of like vary in degrees of how much how interested i am when i flip the page and see that it's their name um it's mostly because it's compared to other povs that i love so much and at the same time all of the povs so far have needed to be here you know like prax needed to be here anna needed to be here bull needed to be here every everybody's securely locked in place it makes sense you know and the stuff that's going on around them is usually interesting too. So, yeah, that's uh, don't worry, this is gonna
1: be cool. It's gonna okay, be okay. Help me understand this. I, I think I feel like just missed something, or maybe I'm just trying to look for depth where it, it doesn't exist. But Could happen. it often does. <laughs> Miller ha- told Holden, "Like, look for the corners and the doorways." And then they kept using and referencing this metaphor, and I just didn't like. Like, what? Isn't it like look where the obvious? points of opposition are going to be or like i didn't get it because they kept like like a scene would happen and hold would like munder under his breath like look for the whole look for the corners and the doorways when clearing a room and it's like how does that relate i didn't get it
0: yeah i wish i had a cool answer for this but i really don't <laughs> okay. know i really don't know i mean maybe just like look, look for something that you're not expecting i don't know um if if you're listening right now and you know the answer to this if you've got if you've gone full tilt expanse and you've dug deep and you know what all this has been referenced like- to Send us
1: an email or hit us up on the Discord because yeah, I don't know. I don't like, know. where you expect trouble to be, I get, I don't know. I just didn't really get it, but I kept they kept referencing it over, so I kept thinking there was like more more depth there. But I not know and I was kind
0: of looking for that in like the kind of like ultimate battle on the space station. And I feel like like Holden like had thought it like once, but yeah, it wasn't mentioned it. But it wasn't because of that. You know no. what I mean? Like it couldn't have been. Or if it was it was in like, a
1: metaphorical
0: sense. I don't know. Yeah, I have no idea. Okay, so I could so- tell you.
1: Yeah, a a very unique thing happened in this book when, which almost never happens, I feel like, in any book, when you get, like, a big bad guy, Melba, Clarissa Mao, attacking the Rocinante. She's inside. She's in her, like, indestructible mech unit, just ripping the place to pieces. And no one defeats her. Anna is hiding within the storage container with Naomi, and then she just has a stroke, (laughs) And goes down. Yeah. What did you think of that decision? I-, I loved it. I thought it was very fresh, but what did you think about it?
0: Um, I think at that point I think it made sense. Um I could see how it could seem maybe a little bit anticlimactic, but I, I mean if you look at um so like Melba has had all these like implants done. Um she's been through in the last twenty four hours just like an absolute ridiculous amount of things. Um I can't remember exactly why does she have a stroke again?
1: Um I don't know. I think it was probably just overuse of her. Does she have a her- stroke? Yeah, it's what she, well, we don't really know, we just hear a slight gurgling from inside the box, and then when Anna peeks out, she's, like, up against the wall, like, shaking, and then I think it's mentioned later, it's mentioned later that uh, someone, like, is applauding her for saving them, and she was like, no, I just hid, and then she had a stroke right before she, like, killed us. It was either a stroke or a heart attack, but it was something like that. Uh, I I'm feel pretty like sure there was like stroke. some kind of reason for it but I'm totally blanking on what it was I mean she did just get tasered and has been jacked up on her like injection juice that she has inside of her this like Isn't extra something organ. like malfunction or something I don't think so uh I don't know I can't remember but yeah I don't it's know. specifically I've... mentioned later that she's like nah someone just like had a stroke at this time <laughs>
0: <laughs> what did you think about uh
1: Tilly I liked Tilly a lot. Yeah, she I want to see off...
0: more of Tilly. I want a Tilly POV
1: chapter. I want a Tilly POV too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, she was so kind of standoffish and like the rich girl. But then she she comes around, you know. It's like when everyone goes through such traumatic and horrific events, it's kind of like the great leveler. You know, it's like everyone is seeing each other in this new light. There's all these class structures and systems and, and hierarchies get broken down of just people trying to survive and seeing people at their best and their worst covered in blood fighting for each other or not running. Um And I feel like she showed her colors and it, she, yeah. she rose, she, a strength came out of her, which was nice because she gave a little bit of fun to the Anna POV.
0: Yeah. I think that's, that was kind of what I was going to say is, you know, Anna's interesting as hell. Um you you know cute baby cute wife cute, right, cute right. situation there yep. um hugging a pillow
1: this is you guys oh that was so
0: cute oh <laughs> my know. god i love that um but yeah I, I felt like uh anna was a little bit kind of like you know like yeah she's a she's a reverend you know totally uh and then tilly kind of came in like a wrecking ball and it was just a very nice part of those chapters yeah i really liked
1: her a lot absolutely i gotta say one of my favorite scenes was the high out of her mind anna jumping from ship to ship in pursuit of Clarissa. <laughs> like, has she's never done anything like this before. She's high out of her mind from these painkillers that Tilly <laughs> just jacked her up she's like, I gotta go do this and then saves the day. <laughs> and while some may say that that might like stretch the boundaries of like what you might be able to believe, I thought it worked really well and just, I, I was with it, I, I loved it.
0: Okay, so I kind of wanted to go back into what we were talking about before about Anna's saying, you know, you touch a stove and we think it's a weapon and we destroy the stove. There's a quote here that I found. I was looking for it. It's Holden thinking to himself. And it says, it killed humans. Therefore, it was a weapon. But radiation killed humans and a medical x-ray machine wasn't intended as a Mm. weapon. Holden was starting to feel like they were all monkeys playing with a microwave. Push a button. A light comes on inside. So it's a light. Push a different button and stick your hand inside. It burns you. So it's a weapon. Learn to open and close the door. It's a place to hide things. Never grasping what it actually did, and maybe not even having the framework necessary to figure it out. No monkey ever reheated a frozen burrito. (laughs) That's, ah, it's so perfect. And it's, I, I think that that quote and that sentiment is about to catapult us into the rest of this series. I think that that's like one thing that we really need to hang on to here as the reader And really remember that as we go through these next few books and i think it it serves to kind of like at least for me going into a really big series like this where there's a lot of information being poured onto us i mean this is a fairly easy series to read like as far as like it's not super complex um in a lot of ways but it's also there's so many different things to remember and so many different like intentions and just just little little tiny like threads of plot and everything and i think that as we kind of go forward and things start to kind of thicken up um, Just like remembering like its perspective, like it's it could be anything, you know, like keep an open mind about all this stuff,
1: at least for me, you know, I couldn't agree more. and And that was very important in Holden's growth as this is not only going to be a driving factor for the rest of the series, but already has been a driving factor because it's Holden kind of acknowledging and coming around to the fact that one of the driving factors of this story, or at least all of the bad things, is incomplete information and a lack of understanding and action being taken upon it. The everything, and which is what fueled the battles in the first books, was him releasing this information, whether it be his own lack of understanding or everyone else receiving the information's lack of understanding, caused wars, all these terrible things. And it's like a we're so quick to react to things and say, this is that, thus we should respond this way for sure. When it's a light, it's a microwave, it's a we don't even know what it is yet. You know? And so it's like a a very nice growth statement of Holden, kind of acknowledging, like, okay, we need to stop acting upon information that is so incomplete or that we just have such a little understanding of and stop making decisions based upon this and going into a battle when the other side's not even here for war
0: so there's a quote here that i wanted to ask you about and i still don't know exactly how i feel about it but uh, i don't know how much you really need to pull out of this but this is something that i that anna was thinking um and it was science had given mankind many gifts and she valued it but the one important thing it had taken away was the value of subjective personal experience that had been replaced with the idea that only measurable and testable concepts had value but humans didn't work that way that was really cool I I don't I don't even necessarily believe that but I thought it was it that was when I was like okay Anna chapters these
1: are cool these are really
0: interesting I like this a lot yeah what do you you, how do you feel about that
1: well she's Everything's so factual and logical and science and she provides a faith-based motivation for doing things, a reason to do things beyond the self, beyond what we can see and measure. She just added in a perspective that kind of filled out the story and just rounded it out, out a lot um, and, and made you think. You know, I feel like the authors had some conversations amongst themselves as like mm, what this yeah. would mean if that would happen to us, and they were like, this is a really like meaty, fun conversation. How can we how can we find a voice to inject yeah. this into this story and they found it in anna
0: i don't even know if it is necessarily um representative of like what how we're living right now i think there is still a subjective experience to be had even in, in a secular way uh or a religious way or whatever a spiritual way or whatever um but like do you think that there is a line of technological advancement and expansion? where we would really start to lose that to the degree that it was almost un- unidentifiable because i mean uh, people you know I, I hear people say like oh you know we have cell phones so we don't even it's like i don't think we're quite there yet you know i don't think no. we like reached a certain kind of like spiritual singularity yet um i think it's possible for sure um and i don't know if that's necessarily exactly what anna's referencing there but it just kind of got me thinking about that i mean um you know us expanding into the solar system and beyond it would bring about like such a huge paradigm shift for us and i think that's another really cool thing that these books cover and i think that's succinctly
1: covered in a quote like that i just wanted to kind of pick your brain about that yeah i think it was also kind of a statement about you know regardless of the facts of the universe and like the literal data points black white definites around us it's like we don't operate in a world like that people and humans we're storytellers. We tell we we construct our world from stories. whether or not it's based upon actual information or not, there's always a subjective sense of filtering that we look and experience the world through. And I think she was trying to encapsulate that like, yeah. we aren't creatures of binary one we're, we're not robots. We are storytellers. we're we're dreamers
0: gosh yeah there's some really profound uh little snippets and <laughs> I, really I thought was. this one was this is definitely the most profound book so far because um not even just because we threw in a religious element to it but we've got Melba here who is so much more um a villain and you know she's got a redemption arc and stuff but I mean we have a very different character here in melba who is like actively trying to do harm because she's mad you know what i mean like it's not oh i need to save the universe and make a bunch of money doing it or whatever it's not like corrupt politicians or anything it's like no this is like a very very ill-intentioned person here you know so like that combined with um with anna and then you throw in a redemption arc in there uh, along with like the ramifications of meeting a new intelligence and everything and it's like this definitely this book at least made me think more than the two before it I almost want to agree with you that it's my favorite so far, but it's not. It's not. So, yet. It's, it's so, still it's still Caliban's work.
1: <laughs> Melba is living the story that, I mean, Melba is a story that she created, right? She's literally not that thing, but she's living that and when it's really interesting after when she's in the cell and she's and then she gets freed by the counter couers, Her brain is clear for the first time in many months, it seems like when she's in that cell and she's like feeling remorse and the things that an actual not insane sociopath human would be feeling if they did all those things. And then she kind of like remembers her anger and she falls back into this story that she was telling herself. And it was just like a really interesting way to watch her kind of like flip that switch on and off of being like insane than not. And then she kind of, and ultimately choosing her own path, right? Like she was like, I need to make the choice of like where I'm going here because I can't just let this hatred and anger be the fuel for everything, because look at all the damage that I've done, and she deals with it in her own way, but man.
0: I think if there was one thing about this book that I wasn't super into, and I kind of touched on it, um, and I'm trying to change the subject here, but uh no, that's fine. I wanted to I wanted to talk about something and um and this is just a me thing. This is super just a me thing, but I kinda of took gone over it on the Monday episode, I think. There were a lot of ships, and I didn't know where anybody was. Like, I didn't know that Melba had gone over to the prince and then gone back over to the Syria, so and then no, like, all the ships neither. have complicated names and stuff, and it's just like, wait, how did she get over there? Like, where is... Oh, okay, so you're... Right, you can just get clearance to take the shot. I guess. yeah and then like everyone's back on the behemoth and I was like yeah okay oh wait so Amos and Alex oh they got taken when did they get in? oh okay yeah that's fine right and then, then Alex
1: like leaves to get on the Rossin at some point during the end sequence I don't really know when <laughs> <laughs> like, or how he even gets there yeah, like uh, I, don't, I have no idea
0: and you know what I think that is just like a me thing where I don't really know how
1: they would really clean that up
0: you know what right I, mean? I, I think maybe well maybe I mean like maybe they could have cleaned it up and had um Melba and company like ren and all those other guys uh get just be like maintenance workers on the prince instead of that other ship and then so they because they're kind of like going back and forth
1: i'll see your nitpick with one with one of my own um i didn't really like the fact that clarissa kept referencing the crew that she was with in the previous ship like oh if only ren could see this he would love this and it was like what you didn't seem to spend enough time with them to develop feelings that she kept referring to, like thinking, I wonder what they would think if they were here. It's like you kind of actively avoided them when you were on the ship, and now you're like, Well, bringing she, them she along. had kind maybe of that's... talked to,
0: there was a part where she talked to Ren and she was like, I'm kind of out of my depth here. I'm like way in over my head. That's and Ren, true. Ren was like, But I still agree with you that I think it's, it's supposed to be implied that she had made like more connection than we had seen. Right, or maybe cause... part of the story she tells herself and there was a part where I was like man you're like really torn up about killing Ren but like you <laughs> like hardly knew him but also I mean like she also like killed a guy for <laughs> it was like a completely innocent person so uh, you know that's lame you know that would right. mess anybody up so yeah I was but there was like a moment where I was just like man why is this like, like tearing you up so much inside you're like a ruthless killer but it's every time she had killed before that she was it showed her like shaking and vomiting and you know she's not doing good even when she does kill the guys i think when she's on earth uh or, or luna or i think she's on earth
1: and you know she's obviously not operating in the realm of logic here but her whole hide the body plan seemed ludicrous when you have all of space to hide the body in but you put him in a foot locker in your room and just cover him with like pressure sealing sealant foam like wow that seemed the worst spot that you could have hit the body. I think she's
0: just not in a good state, man. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> okay. So page 30, there's a quote that I just really loved. It's like awesome foreshadowing. Um, and kind of giving us a taste of Bull's um discipline and his ability to just put one foot in front of the other in the face of wild adversity. So it's right after Fred Johnson tells him, You're not gonna be the number one on this ship. I'm demoting you, but because of political ridiculous reasons and bull says well heck and then he goes all the responsibility and none of the power how can i turn down an <laughs> offer like that and it's like fred's like no joking we're screwing you over and the reasons are all optics and political bs but i need you to take it so i'll take it bull said then it goes on with this awesome bit of foreshadowing like perfectly letting us know bull's like opinion and feelings as to what's to come says for a moment the only sound was the quiet ticking of the air recycler bull turned back to the task of putting his life in a footlocker again somewhere far above him hidden by tons of steel and ceramic raw stone and vacuum behemoth awaited and it was just like oh man it's like the weight the fact the ship's called the behemoth it's like he doesn't know what's to come but that's going to be so weighty in his part to to play is going to be so huge and yet he has so many walls in front of him like it's going to be the hardest possible path to take and dang straight it is as he loses his ability to control most of his body right when he needs it the most oh my gosh
0: and that's what I mean about like these chapters ending so well you know like they know exactly when to end chapters and right where to start them which Um, You know, I mean, I'm I'm writing quite a bit. You're getting into writing. Uh, One of the biggest, best pieces of advice I've ever gotten for drafting and for revising and for writing is you need to know when to end your chapters and when to start them. Some chapters end way past when it would be better for them too. like you've already made your point you're right. you're overstaying your welcome and then you're just soaking it or watering right. it down and now. then some chapters start way before you need them too. like you could <laughs> like don't start with the person walking down the street to the door start with them knocking on the door you know like you don't necessarily need all that fluff all the time and I think that James SA Corey has just uh, have you noticed that all the chapters are around the same size
1: mm-hmm well that's that's interesting
0: yeah it's nice but like they're
1: like all like six pages long like yeah, pretty especially much every coming off one. of stephen king who's like one sentence chapter boom and then like 20 pages it's like kind of <laughs> nice to have know. a little bit of consistency there you know all right so we're gonna start wrapping up here everybody and we you know
0: chad and i've gone on for a little while about this book and we could honestly just keep going forever but i want to go read cibola burn right now because i am all too. jazzed up about the expense i'm now. gonna go
1: dream about having invincible
0: martian power armor <laughs> Uh, I want to end, though, with my favorite quote of the entire book from my char- my favorite character in the series so far, which is Amos. Because Amos is just my, my man, my boy. I love Amos so much. But here's the quote. Uh, they're gearing up to go into battle, and Holden says, we don't want to get in a gunfight. And then Amos says, yeah, but if we're in one anyway, it'll be nice to have guns. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Amos.
1: <laughs> amos.
0: that quote is so perfectly amos just like there is a hierarchy on this ship yes old holden i do defer to you but you're being an idiot right now like it's going right. to be really good to have these when inevitably like how many firefights have we been in man come on like what are you say? Like, we're, kidding on, a, me right we're now? on a
1: hostile ship right now that's so perfect <laughs> set your oh my God. your righteous intentions aside uh, there's another great Amos quote where he's talking with Anna about whether or not she needs someone taken out. I forget. Oh, I think it's Clarissa, and he's like, "Well, if you decide to unforgive her, let me know, and I'm the man for the job." <laughs> kind of like, I'll forgive her, but I also like oh, could totally God. kill her. No I forgot problem.
0: about uh, Amos and Anna,
1: like their whole like little <laughs> their, their, oh, their rapport. Don't hit on had. her. <laughs> and he was like, but <laughs> he even tries to fight it. <laughs> I'm so interested into what. Like, can we get a more gruesome scene? I didn't think that we could top arrows, but coming out of the ship that just got stopped after going like 600 meters per second and people bashed, yeah. bloodied, pasta sauce—I think—is what one of the marines so callously <laughs> puts it. Uh, I wonder what grisly scene we have in front of us to top that. Man, uh, I'm, I'm excited sure. for it.
0: I've heard that the in last half—I've sort of heard that the last half of Cibola Burn is really, really good. So I'm excited for that. Um, I've heard also that five and six are kind of like the dip in the okay. series where things start getting a little boring I've heard so many different things because this series yeah, pre- has been around for a while um go, go ahead
1: do you have any predictions before oh, we yeah. put the final oh, yeah, final kinda, lid on this jar
0: um I'm just gonna do a quick one let's, okay. do, let's do like a quick one each um okay but I mean my prediction see so I'm already into Cibola burn so I'm gonna try to make like a big prediction you know what i mean um because okay, i don't want okay, predict- to I'll try to do one too yeah because i don't want to spoil anything um, right right this isn't a huge prediction but i think the next few books are going to be a lot of kind of the same where we're seeing a-, a lot of these factions kind of like duking it out while we're getting a lot of questions answered right and i think that might be the formula for the next few of these uh i could be wrong I would like to be wrong actually because i don't i think that would get a little samey after a while um but i think that might be what it is and then kind of have everything kind of culminate when the factions are a little bit more in line with each other's values and stuff and we've got more of a unified front for when all those questions that are being answered kind of culminate in the last few books so that's kind of like what i think is going to happen but yeah i almost i almost can't see it going any other way i'd love to be surprised that'd be awesome yeah
1: I kind of had the same exact thought almost just a little bit. So like, I don't, I think that like the previous books, we won't actually ever maybe at the very end of the story, but I don't think we're ever going to get a alien story. This is never going to become about little green men, but this is always going to be about humans using whatever thing that is in front of them to justify beating the hell out of each other and gain power for themselves. And ultimately this is a story as to, as we expand inevitably, will we be unified or will we continue squabbling amongst ourselves or will we face the rest of this scary dark cold empty universe together
0: or split up which
1: would be right or split up right which so far that's the colors we've been waving but we came together on a little bit
0: this happened a little bit Uh,
1: microcosm action here you know yeah yeah Um,
0: bloodbath and then microcosm (laughs) (laughs) action. All right, that's where we're gonna leave it everybody thank you so much for listening to this episode on book three in the expanse abaddon's gate join us next time for cibola burn book four and uh we'll probably end up doing another little recap of a novella or a short story yeah, or something we should. we're doing it's... we're doing it right we're doing the expanse right everybody it's we're a little behind schedule on it right now uh chad and i took a week off just to kind of like because we're reading the uh, the inheritance books and i'm almost done with inheritance and i'm liking it I'm liking it yeah, and we've got Christopher Paulini
1: coming on, I'm so, so excited, uh, we yeah. really need to just like dig into those. We need yeah. to be thorough with those guys. So, uh, so yeah, we wanted to take the time to do do this right and give you all the well thought out and just full of just wisdom oh, uh, content so well that we, we always out. do. Yeah, just like so, man. <laughs> so <great. laughs> well, everybody,
0: uh, again, thank you so much for being here. Go check out our Patreon. Go check out our Discord. Uh, as always, I hope you have an awesome rest of your day, and of course, happy reading. Bye, everybody. Thank you.